So with that said, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into the word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for your word. And we pray now, Lord, that we might learn from you. God, we know that uh, we as believers are under a new covenant. And we thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, for your wonderful mercy and your grace. But now, Lord, as we see the example of these in the Old Testament, Lord, teach us how to walk worthy of the calling you've given to us. Lord, help us to walk in fellowship with you and not just in deed. Lord, we want to draw close to you. So we, we ask that you would do this now through your Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, or sorry, this evening, as we get into this text, I just want to remind you about a story actually a couple months ago that Manny taught earlier on from Kings. And this was the story of Naboth. And if you remember, Naboth in 1 Kings had a vineyard. And this vineyard uh, was, happened to be near the house of King Ahab in Jezreel. So Jezreel, King Ahab kind of established Jezreel as a place for one of his homes. And there in Jezreel, he saw this nice vineyard. He thought, hey, you know, I'd like to have that vineyard. It's close by my house. I could care for it, grow some some crops, and this would be really wonderful. So he goes to Naboth, and he asks Naboth for his vineyard, says, look, I'll give you one of my vineyards of equal value. I'll buy it from you. Tell me what you need. And Naboth said, the Lord forbid it for me to give it to you. Well, this really upset King Ahab. And King Ahab went home, shut his door, and started pouting. Literally, he started pouting. He wouldn't eat because he was so sad that he couldn't have this particular vineyard. And his wife, Jezebel, uh, decided, she asked him, what's wrong, honey? What can, what, what's going on? Why won't you eat? He said, oh, Naboth won't give me his vineyard. I really want this vineyard and I can't have it. You almost just imagine this grown man, this warrior, like kicking his, pounding his fists and kicking his feet sort of, sort of idea. idea. And, and so Jezebel says, don't worry about it. I've got this covered. So she calls the elders of Israel together, and she gets two unscrupulous people to testify against Naboth that he's blasphemed God and the king. And as a result of that, they stone Naboth to to death, and then then, uh, Jezebel comes to Ahab and says, look, I've got a vineyard for you. And he steals a vineyard. As a result of that, God prophesies against Ahab. But you need to know that story as we get into the text tonight because it's, it's, we're going to see God repays this evil to the house of Ahab. So, oh, let me give you one more prophecy here. Uh, there, I'm still on dedication notes. Okay. Uh, one more prophecy I want to give to you um, from 1 Kings 21, verses 21 through 24. We, uh, God says, gives this prophecy to Elijah to prophesy to Ahab, Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and, I, and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. 
The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. Now, when Ahab received this prophecy, he actually repented, not repented to give back the vineyard, but he was really lamented, and he tore his clothes, and he, he asked uh, uh, the Lord to show him mercy, and God actually says, okay, I'm not going to do this yet, but he's going to do it, and, um, and that's where we end up tonight in chapter 9. Uh, so we've been looking at the king Jehoram from Judah, and now Joram, who's the son of Ahab, in the kingdom of, of Israel. So here we go, chapter 9, verse 1. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand, and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up among his associates, and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. So we're going to pause there for a moment. Here we get a little more insight into the ministry of the sons of the prophet. We don't know much about these men, uh, but they're referred to throughout uh, 2 Kings, uh, the very end of 1 Kings, and then, of course, 2 Kings, we see them referred to a lot. In fact, we even know that they have this community, this like almost like a school of ministry for the sons of the prophet. If you remember earlier on in Kings, they had to build a new building because it didn't fit. Well, this is part of their ministry. They were ministers to Israel, taking the word of the Lord out as God had instructed them, and ministering to the people of Israel. And so now we see that they're called to anoint Jehu as king. Now, Jehu has actually, God had already told Elijah to anoint uh, Hazael, uh, the king of Syria, and to anoint Elisha to come alongside him and be a prophet, and to anoint Jehu. Now, we never read that, that Elijah actually fulfilled that anointing of Hazael, and Jehu, but we know that he, he uh, called Elisha to come minister alongside him. I know there's a lot of names here, and I apologize for that, guys, but it's all going to kind of come together as we go. But uh, if uh, Elijah did fulfill that, that means that Jehu would have already had some anointing. It is possible that, uh, that Elijah gave this charge to Elisha, and now it's come time for Elisha to anoint I'm not really sure how it goes, but I will say this, and I think this is important for each and every one who's called into ministry, because I know personally when I received that calling upon my life, that anointing in my life, one of the the things that was probably most frustrating for me is the wanting to do ministry, but not being ready, able yet. Like I I had this calling, this passion, I knew God had called me to, to serve and to work in church and to minister to his people. I just didn't totally know how that was going to look. Uh, and also, I didn't have the, the equipping. I, I, I had the anointing from God. That was clear. But it just wasn't God's timing yet for me to actually start doing. And I want to say that for those of you that have a calling upon your life, an anointing from God, you know. You know that you have this anointing, and, and you're waiting for God to open up that door, be it as a missionary as a minister of God in some way, here's my advice to you. You just continue serving and you continue waiting on the Lord and you let the Lord establish you in his time. If you remember, 
King David was anointed privately ahead of time. All the people that get anointed in the Bible, it's not at their coronation event. Saul was anointed ahead of time. They get anointed, and then it's in time that God establishes. So I want to just encourage you with those words. Well, anyway, let's go on to verse 4. So the young man, that's the son of the prophet, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead, and when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door, and he fled. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> he comes in, I need to talk to you privately. Can we do this? Dumps oil on his head and gives him this, this anointing from God, this prophecy. And uh, so he dumps all this oil on his head in private, anoints him, and he takes off. Now, uh, one of the things I want to call to your attention is what exactly is Jehu anointed to? Well, the first thing is he's, uh, he, he's anointed that, uh, to be king over who? Israel, over the northern kingdoms, okay? Jehu for, now, remember, Jehu is actually at Ramath Gilead. They're fighting the Syrian army. Hazael is one of those ones leading the Syrian army. And uh, Joram, the actual king, He's actually gone back to Jezreel because he was wounded in the battle, and he's gone to, to rest and get better. So Jehu's there fighting, and he's meeting with his commanders, and so this word comes to him. So he's anointed to be king. He is anointed to strike down the house of Ahab. And there's a reason why God wants him to strike down the house of Ahab. And all the children of Ahab is because that he might avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. So, so God wants Jehu to completely bring judgment upon the whole household of Ahab. So that's what, what Jehu is anointed for. And that's important because we're going to see that Jehu fulfills this uh, charge from God to do this. So Je- then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, verse 11, and uh, one said to him, is all well? Why did that, this madman come to you? And he said to them, you know the man and his babble. And they said, a lie, tell us now. So he said, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps. And they blew trumpets saying, Jehu is king. So as they must have recognized the son of the prophet in some way, this minister, more than likely it was probably by the way he dressed, uh, but they knew he wasn't a normal guy, looking guy, the way everybody else dressed. And he comes into this room, and then 
he anoints Jehu, dumps all his oil, runs away, and Jehu comes out with all his oil all over him, and he says, what did he tell you? Uh, nothing, nothing. No, there was nothing there. It's like, okay, you're lying. Tell us what he told you. I'm anointed king. All right, that's great. Look, look they just jump out of the, you're the king, and we're ready to serve you and go with you. Now the text gets a little more interesting. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against uh, Joram. Now Joram had been defending Ramoth Gilead, and he and all Israel against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Jehu said, if you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. Now let me just point out something about Ahaziah. Ahaziah is the king of Judah. That's the southern kingdom that includes both Judah and Benjamin. And if you remember, Ahaziah was the son of Jehoram, which is very similar to Joram. Actually, in Hebrew, it's almost indistinct, the two, the two names, Joram and Jehoram. And you'll see in Chronicles, if you read on later, they're almost interchangeable. Sometimes they'll call Joram of Israel Jehoram, and they'll call, uh, you'll see that Jehoram of Judah, they'll call Joram, just so you know. So it's context that you know who these two are. Well, Ahaziah is the son of Jehoram. And if you remember, Jehoshaphat married off his son to the daughter of Ahab. So Joram was married to the daughter of Ahab. And Ahaziah is the son of both Ahab, uh, basically the grandson of Ahab, and the, uh, the grandson of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king. You're going to want to remember that, okay? All right, here we go. There's a lot of things to remember, right? (laughs) All right, verse 17. Now watchmen stood on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, get a horseman and send him to meet them and let him say, is it peace? So the horseman went to him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying, the messenger went to them but is not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, thus says the king, is at peace? And Jehu answered, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying, he went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. By the way, this is my justification for my driving with my wife. Look, it's biblical to drive furiously, right? No. Fast and the furious, right? This is where it all comes from. All right, no, but uh, so Jehu is on his way in. They come and say, is it peace? Like basically what's going on in Ramoth Gilead? We want to know, is there peace? Uh, And Jehu says, basically, I'm not going to, what what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. Basically, I I didn't come here for peace. And you should just join up with me now. So both both messengers go, okay. (laughs) They join, join right up with Jehu. But I love the fact that, that there is something about Jehu's driving of a chariot that this watchman can spot from far away. I think it really kind of exemplifies Jehu's zeal 
for how he handles this chariot with, it, with the things that he does. And we're going to see that this guy has a lot of zeal uh, in, in chapter 9, chapter 10. But uh, it, because he's able to spot how he's driving and he drives furiously and he really does, puts into it. So verse 21, then Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out each to his, in his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu and met him on the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, is it peace, Jehu? So Jehu answers, what peace as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many? Then Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, treachery, Ahaziah. Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jehoram between his arms or between the shoulders. And the arrow came out at his heart and he sank down in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember when you and I were riding together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him? Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now therefore take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. There's some justice. <laughs> yeah. So Joram, uh, as he comes out and he says, is it peace? And he gets this comment back from him. Can there ever be peace with the harlotries and the witchcraft, the treacherous witchcraft of your mother Jezebel? And Jehu knows, uh-oh, <laughs> things have gone south really quick. So he tries to turn around and hightail it out there, takes an arrow through the chest. And um, notice, though, he tries to warn Ahaziah. Now, Ahaziah, again, is the king of Judah. He had come down to see Joram as he was uh, convalescing, getting better. So, um, so now we see that uh, God repays him. He dies right there on the land of Naboth, the, uh, in, uh, of Jezreel. And notice even the text. Uh, there, it's something interesting here in the text if you look at, uh, sorry, let me go back to uh, verse 21, the very end of verse 21, when Joram, the king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu, and they met him, you see what it says? On the property of Naboth. Now, th I find this interesting because Ahab had... Jezebel had Naboth murdered, and Ahab took that vineyard. But do you see how God sees that property? God sees that property still as belonging to Naboth. And that's how the scriptures record it. On the property of Naboth, this belongs to him. And so God repays this wickedness and takes out Joram. Now let's move to Ahaziah, the king of Judah. Remember, Ahaziah is the grandson of Ahab, who Jehoshaphat married uh, uh, Joram, his son, to Jehoram, his son, to the daughter of um, Ahab and, and Jezebel. So, and now we have Ahaziah. Verse twenty-seven. But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the road to Beth Hagen, uh, 
So Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur. That's pretty good. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur. I don't know. I, I just like that. Which is <laughs> by Iblim. Then he fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. And the 11th year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah had become king over Judah. So Ahaziah is also killed. And part of the reason why he's killed is the prophecy is against all the men of Ahab, the whole house of Ahab. So you have to realize that anybody related to Ahab... They're doomed right now because Jehu, the furious driver with all that zeal, is, is hunting after them. Jehu, the bounty hunter. I don't know. He's not really hunting for a bounty. He's hunting by the command of the Lord, but he's going after everybody. All right, Jezebel. Now, when Jehu, verse 30, had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes. That's basically makeup. And adorned her head. And looked through a window. Then as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimbri, murderer of your master? Now, what she's saying is, uh, she's referencing back to 1 Kings chapter 16. Zimri was a guy who killed his master. And you guys can go back and look this up. He killed his master, Basha, who was king. He, uh, he basically stabbed him in a sly way and took over the kingdom. Reigned for about seven days and then was taken out. Uh, and, and so basically this would be the equivalent of her saying, you know, uh, et tu brute, or is that you, Judas? Uh, that whole idea. So she's basically calling him a traitor and um, saying, but she, she adorned herself, made herself look good. And Jezebel at this point is probably uh, fairly older. Verse 32, and he looked up at the window and said, who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in and ate and drank, then he said, go now see to this accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. <laughs> I told you, it's going to be brutal. There, but, but, you know, even when it's brutal because she's so wicked, you're like, eh. <laughs> so, Therefore, they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground of, at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be a refuse on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. So basically, uh, as he comes in and she asks him if it's the betrayer, Zimri, he says, he doesn't even respond to her. He actually asks, who's with me of her servants? And, and uh, he said, if you're with me, throw her down. So they, they kind of see the tide coming. They toss her out the window. She gets uh, blood spared. But by the way, as we're going through this, I'm really stoked that we live under a new covenant and we have God's mercy and his grace. Uh, we're going to see terrible destruction happen in Revelation during the great tribulation period. But really, as we see these things, we can be thankful that 
we truly live under a new covenant under Christ, and we can we can show people grace and mercy and and show them love. But uh, so here uh, she's trampled underfoot. She becomes um, dog doo doo for the land, uh, just as God says will happen. So this woman is is completely taken out. Let me say a couple more things about Jezebel. Jezebel, uh, if you remember, was the daughter of the king of the Sidonians. And Ahab, it was commented about Ahab about how wicked he was, that he actually looked to do wickedness. That's how wicked this king was. But Jezebel took Ahab when she married him to the next level. And she also brought in the worship of Baal into Israel and started convincing uh, the people of Israel to worship Baal, the false gods. And, and they, they all uh, served the Baals and worshiped him. And that's what Jezebel did. Now, later on in the book of Revelation, we see Jezebel brought up again. You can turn with me over to Re- Revelation chapter 2. Because Jesus uses uh, the name Jezebel to help us understand what's going on in a church There's a warning to the church in Thyatira. In Revelation 2, verse 18, we see, And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Now this is reminiscent of judgment, that as Jesus is speaking these things, he's got judgment with him, he's perfect, and pure, and he's bringing this this uh, word to the church in Thyatira. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. As for your works, the last are more than the first. Now, there's a commendation here from Christ about the church in Thyatira, and that's the fact that they're actually known for their works. Uh, okay, back up one verse. Uh, they're known for their works, their love, their service, their faith, their patience. This, on the outset, looks like a really good, healthy church. But it's interesting because they're not so healthy. They're doing a lot of good things. They're certainly, we would say that they're successful in the social gospel, in, in, in sharing love of, of Christ with people, but But there's something else going on wrong here. And that's where we go to the next verse. It says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, stay there for a minute, Bethany. So remember, Jezebel was the woman who didn't just encourage the false form of worship of God, but actually encouraged the false worship of, uh, the worship of false gods in Israel. Jezebel brought in the bells. She encouraged Israel to worship these false gods and, and, and to commit themselves to harlotry. Remember, Jezebel, Jezebel was a great en- enemy of the prophet Elijah. She's a wicked woman, and so now Jesus, as he is confronting the church in Thyatira, says that, that they, they've got all these good works and programs going. 
They show love, they show work, they, they even show faith, but there's a problem because they tolerate this woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a false prophetess. And look at what she's doing. She's teaching people to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to Io. Things that are offensive to God, she's encouraging, okay? Now, it goes on to say this. Um, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say... And to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, and they say, I will put you, uh, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he will, he who overcomes and keeps my works until, until the end, to him I will, uh, I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels." As I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this corrupt church that Jesus refers to as allowing this false prophetess Jezebel, uh, we see that he, he's calling the church to repent of that. And he actually says that if you don't repent, I will cast you into tribulation. In fact, I actually believe this is casting, well, actually it says into great tribulation. I think this is, uh, when you think about whether or not the church will be here, I know a lot of people go back and forth about a rapture, no rapture, pre-trib rapture, uh, will the church go through the great tribulation? I think that this church will go through the great tribulation because Jesus says, I think the church that holds to the word of God, the church of Philadelphia, they'll be taken out. Just like God says, I will take you out from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole world. But this church certainly will stay. They'll be cast into the great tribulation, uh, this, this great judgment. And I think this is a good warning for us because we might think back to Second Kings and go, thank goodness we don't deal with Jezebels, right? But maybe that's not so true. Uh, and I think that there's a, a opportunity for to us to assess whether or not the church is allowing itself to be corrupted from the inside out, whether or not the church is allowing itself to conform, to adopt things that God says are abhorrent or sinful, whether or not the church is committing sexual immorality and even endorsing it. These are important questions to ask. Certainly we want to be faithful to the Word of God, but I know there is a popular trend to adopt the things of this world, to allow the culture to drive the church versus the church to create the culture. And, uh, and this is the challenge I would have for us as we're saying goodbye to Jezebel as she's been cast out of the wall and the dogs have eaten her. We definitely don't want to be a church like that. So we want to continue on in faithfulness to God. All right, back over to 2 Kings, and there's no way we're going to finish this. Um, so uh, you guys are like, okay, come on, Dave. All right, here we go. <laughs> now Ahab, chapter 10, verse 1. 
Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, and Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's sons, saying, Now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. So basically, Ahab had 70 sons. He had more than one wife, obviously, uh, but we only know about Jezebel. So uh, Jehu sends this letter saying, okay, set, your, set one of his sons on the throne and prepare to fight. I'm coming after you guys. That's basically what his letter is. But they were exceedingly afraid, verse 4, and said, look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? So they're, they're basically recognizing, look, Jehu has killed Ahaziah, the king of Judah. He's killed uh, Joram, the king of Israel. There's no way we can stand against him. And he, verse 5, and he who was in charge of the house and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also and those who reared the sons, sent to Jehu saying, we are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Then he wrote a second letter to them saying, if you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your masters, sons, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with great men of the city who were rearing them. So it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in the baskets, and sent them to him at Jezreel. I know, it's, I told you guys, this is a brutal chapter. The, <laughs> this is totally brutal. Then a messenger came and told him, saying, they have brought the heads of the king's sons. Remember, Jehu drives his chariot, chariot furiously. And, and uh, he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. So it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, you are righteous indeed. I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the, uh, of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed all who remained at the house of Ahab in Jezreel, and all his great men, and his close acquaintances, and his priests, until he left none remaining. Notice what Jehu says. He says that basically the word of the Lord is not going to fall to the earth. It's not going to go away unfinished. If God commands it, it's going to happen. And so you guys know this day that just as the word of the Lord spoke this, this is all happening. And verse 12, And he arose and departed and went to Samaria on the way at Beth-Eked, of the shepherds, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, Who are you? So they answered, We are the brothers of Ahaziah. Remember, Ahaziah is the grandson of who? Ahab. Okay? So he's related to Ahab. So what happens to all the relatives of Ahab? Okay. So they answered, We are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. <laughs> and Jehu said, Take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the well of Beth-Eked, 42 men, and left none of them. Verse 15, now when he departed from there, he met Je uh, Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, 
Is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and took him up to him into the chariot. Then he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained in, to Ahab in Samaria till he destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Now, uh, the, the important part about uh, uh, Jehonadab, he's going to get re-referenced in Jeremiah. And he's going to get re-referenced as somebody who stayed, remained faithful to the Lord. And so when Jehu meets him on the road, he becomes a friend. Josephus, the Jewish historian, actually refers to this long-lasting friendship between Jehu and Jehonadab. I don't have much time to go more into this, but you can find out. If you just do a search on his name, you'll see it pop up in Jeremiah there. So, uh, so Jehu is continuing his mission, killing all who remained to Ahab. Verse 18, Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Uh, Whoever is missing shall not live. So basically Jehu is saying that uh, if Ahab served Baal a little, I'm going to serve him much. Hey guys, I'm a great worshiper of Baal. All prophets, everybody who worships Baal, Come with me, I've got a great sacrifice. If you don't show up, you're dead. Now, do you think Jehu, if he says you're going to die, will follow through? I think he's got a hit track record here of, in Israel that Jehu is this guy who wipes out everyone. So, but Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal, came so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from the end, from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Then Jehub and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. So what he's saying is, Go through, we don't want any servants of the real, the Lord God. We only want bell worshipers in here. Uh, see what they're doing? They're getting rid of everybody they don't want to kill. So they went in to offer sacrifice and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside. And it said, if any, one, any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Now it happened as soon as he made an end of offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal, burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. Now I want to pause there for a moment. Jehu is, um, I guess, kind of an anti-hero. <laughs> he's, uh, he's doing what God's commanded, and he's doing it with great zeal. And he's wiping out all of the worship of Baal. 
But there's a real sad commentary on the life of Jehu coming. Look at verse 29. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. Now, do you remember Jeroboam, the first king of Israel? He set up the false worship of God. Instead of worshiping in the temple, he was too afraid that if people went to worship in the temple, that they might turn away from him and leave and become part of Judah. So he said, oh, we'll start out our own. So they made these calves just like Levi did. Remember Levi uh, was given all this gold. They said, make us gods, uh, gods to worship. And the, these calves come out. And Moses comes out and says, wait, where did these calves come from? And Levi was like, I, I don't know. I threw this gold in and poof, out came these calves. I, you, know, you know how that happens. Um, and, and so, of course, God uh, rebuked Israel quite severely and disciplined them for that, that unfaithfulness. Well, Jeroboam did that. He encouraged the false worship of God, uh, worshiping God in false ways, making an image for God, worshiping him in a false place. And so we see that Jehu did not turn away from that false worship of God. So Jehu is, is, sounds like a really strong believer. He believes in the word of God. He, he, he gets rid of the idolatry. There's something seriously wrong with Jehu because he doesn't conform his own life to God and God's will and God's law. And so it says that, it says this, it says, uh, verse 30, and the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Now, verse 31 is one that you might want to underline in your Bibles. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord, God of Israel, with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. That is probably the saddest commentary on the life of Jehu. That here Jehu is serving the Lord furiously, but never having fellowship with God. Is that possible that we can serve God? We can claim God? We can do all sorts of things for God, but never have fellowship with God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the fact is, is we can embrace sin. And we know that sin separates us from the fellowship of God. We can embrace the false form of worship of God. We can make worship about ourselves. We can make worship about an experience. We can do all sorts of things that will, will take us away from fellowship with God and give our whole lives to serving furiously but never having fellowship with Christ. And that's where I want to close tonight. I want to encourage you to seek after fellowship with Christ not just service, service to God. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. And uh, Lord, we take this as a great warning. Lord, forgive us for breaking fellowship with you. If there is sin in your life, you know exactly what it is. You confess it now to the Lord. Lord, forgive me. Thank you, thank you, Lord, that you care for me. Thank you that you are faithful and just and will forgive me from, from all unrighteousness. Lord, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to walk with you. 
I don't want to just leave a legacy for four generations. I want to be with you in heaven, Lord. Forgive me a sin. We thank you, dear God, for your love. And, Lord, we want to not just be furious but in fellowship. So, Lord, help us to seek after you, to know you, to walk with you, and to bring our lives in total submission to you. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, I I know this chapter is so brutal, but it's interesting to see because when we remember the, the king, the reign kingdom of Jehoshaphat, who remembered the Lord and taught the Levites to teach the people the word of the Lord and the law of the Lord, they had great peace and God protected them from their enemies. And then you see the kingdom of Israel that is just plagued by usurper after usurper and lots of evil. And it really is, it goes to show a kingdom with the Lord, a people that have the Lord versus a people that don't. Now, may God be gracious to you. May he give you his peace. May he cause his face to shine upon you. Amen. Amen.